We're going to look this morning at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. As we think about what it looks like for us to lead intentionally. As we think about 2020 vision for the church. We started this year by asking this question, are you willing to pay the cost? That question is an important one for us to ask, a critical one for us to answer individually and collectively as a church as we move forward. It's necessary for us to determine in our hearts, to confess with our mouths before any difficulty arises or a challenge arises, before distractions come, that we're willing to pay the cost to follow Jesus together wherever he leads, wherever he takes us. Because he's worthy. He's worthy of our lives and of our worship. So no matter what happens or what we encounter, who we encounter, we love deeply because Christ has first loved us. No matter the cost, we live sacrificially, not in a way that's constantly complaining about all that we've given up to follow Jesus, but in a way that makes much of Jesus and his sacrifice for us. 2020 vision for the church. As we begin this year, how is our vision? Do we see Jesus clearly? Do we see the love that he has for his church? And are we loving the church in that same way? We've talked about loving deeply, living sacrificially. This morning, we're going to look at what it means for us to lead intentionally. As we think about leadership, uh, there might be a lot of different things that come to your mind. Maybe it's a book that you've read about the laws of leadership. Could be an event that you attended or a conference or a seminar about leadership or in the context of the church, maybe we think about a pastor or other ministry leader, someone in a position of authority. And depending this morning on the experiences that you've had with leaders in your lives over the course of your life, leadership may be a good word to you or may be a bad word to you, but whoever or whatever it is that we picture in our minds when we hear the word leadership I would propose this morning that the first image that comes to our mind when we think of leadership should be the image of Christ, the image of Jesus. We won't lead intentionally until we see Jesus clearly. And so we're going to focus in this morning on one verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, but I want to begin reading there this morning in verse 12, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is... There is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Our Father, this morning we ask that you would help us to see how you've called us to lead, help us to see who you've called us to be. We sang earlier that we are who you say that we are. Lord, help us to see what you've called us to do, how you've called us to lead in your church, how you've called us to lead in our community, to lead others toward you, to lead others to Christ and the life that we have found in you, the living hope that we have because of what Jesus has done for us. In his his name that we pray, amen.
We exist to love God as he desires and others as he commands in order to live out our faith in practical ways so that we might lead others to the life-changing presence and power of Jesus. We're called to love deeply, live sacrificially, lead intentionally. Maybe thinking this morning, though, this doesn't seem like a passage about leadership. And at least in terms of how we normally talk about leadership, you are probably right. But when we see Jesus clearly, we will lead intentionally. And so I just want to look at this verse this morning and ask three questions that pertain to our leadership. First one is this, who is called to lead? Who is called to lead? You may be sitting here this morning thinking, I'm not a leader, and so this message doesn't apply to me. I'm just going to go ahead and check out. But what this passage tells us is that that's not the case with leadership that sees Jesus clearly. Who is called to lead? Let's look at verse 18 again. It starts this way, we all with unveiled face. As we think about what's going on in this passage, as we take a step back to understand the context here, we see that Paul has quite a history with the Christians at the church in Corinth. He wrote 1 Corinthians, a letter to that church at a time when there were a lot of issues going on in the church. And then Paul visited the church, trying to lead them to repentance, to lead them back to faithfulness in Christ. But he eventually left there without seeing a whole lot of fruit, a whole lot in the way of results. Seems then that he wrote another letter to the church in Corinth, pleading with them to repent, warning them that God's judgment was coming upon them. That letter is lost to us, but ultimately, it seems there, most of the church again did not repent at first, but eventually, right, they did. Eventually, some of them, most of them began to come back to Christ. And that's the point where Paul is writing this letter, 2 Corinthians, ahead of his next visit to the Christians there in Corinth. So all of that controversy in the church led Paul to write this letter to provide this extended defense of his ministry, of its foundation, its purpose, his mission. And what he's arguing here in this chapter specifically is that the lives of the believers there in Corinth, their lives that had been transformed by Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the good news, the gospel that he had preached, said their changed lives was evidence that his ministry is legitimate. And as he makes that argument here, he answers our first question. Who is called to lead? We all with unveiled face. He's drawing this contrast between the law that was given to Moses on tablets of stone and the work of the Spirit being written on our hearts. God gave the law to Moses and he brought it down to the people of Israel. And the glory of God shining on Moses' face was so great that the Israelites couldn't even look directly at Moses. And so Moses puts a veil over his face so that the Israelites could hear the law without being blinded by God's glory. But here's what Paul tells us. The physical veil that was over Moses' face was representative of something else that was going on in that story. The true veil was the one over the hearts of the Israelites the one that allowed the law to enter their physical ears but not to take root in their hearts. Because of the sin in our hearts, we all begin life this way. As Luke said, as we sang a moment ago, we begin in the darkness, in our sin, with a veil between us and God. 
with a barrier to us truly seeing and worshiping God for who he is. But verse 16 says this, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And now we can see clearly a glory that's greater than the old covenant given through Moses, the glory of Christ, a glory that is permanent and lasting, a glory that not only enters our physical eyes and ears, but that begins to reshape the desires of our hearts. We all with unveiled face now see Jesus face to face. We walk with him. So who is called to lead? Every Christian. If you've turned to the Lord in faith and your sin deadened heart has been made alive together with Christ, you are included in the ministry that Paul is describing here. Who is called to lead? Every Christian. You could write down there also, I am. You are. Not on the basis of any position that we hold in the church or in our lives, not on the basis of our accomplishments or our achievements, not on the basis of our righteousness, but because we've had an encounter with a crucified and risen Christ that has turned our lives upside down and because of a relationship with him that's continually moving us forward. Who is called to lead every Christian? That means you. All right, I can't accept that call for you this morning, and you can't accept that call for me. A personal relationship with Jesus comes through a personal decision to trust in him and follow after Jesus. But we need to not miss something else this morning here. Every Christian does include you and me individually, but it also includes all of us together because the decision to follow Jesus is a personal decision, but it's not a decision that we make in isolation. With the salvation that Jesus brings, comes forgiveness of sin. It comes new and abundant life. And it also comes adoption into the family of God. When we turn to the Lord, we're entering into this community of believers, this family of faith. And yes, it's true that there are those in the church that are gifted and called to lead in different ways within that community. Some will be called to be pastors. Others will be teachers. Some will lead small groups. Some will set the pace in making disciples. Some will lead through music. Some will lead through gifts of administration or hospitality. Others will set the pace in showing mercy while others will lead through prayer. And we could go on and on and on, but each of us who has seen Jesus is gifted and called to lead others. Who is called to lead? We get mixed up sometimes in the way we answer that question because we focus on a couple of ways of leading to the exclusion of all the other ways. It's easy to confine our definition of leadership just to what happens up front, but Leading isn't just what happens on a platform. It doesn't even require a program. You're leading when you welcome new members and guests into worship, into God's church. You're welcoming when you, you're leading when you pray for your brothers and sisters in the church and for those around you who don't yet know Jesus. You're leading when you speak or maybe even just text the word of God to a friend who you know needs encouragement. You're leading when you serve your neighbors with grace and kindness. Leadership doesn't require a platform or a program. What leadership requires is people. People who have seen Jesus leading others who have seen Jesus or who need to see him. Who is called to lead every Christian? We have trouble answering that first question sometimes because we have trouble also with this second question. So, Every Christian is called to lead, but then the next question we need to answer this morning is where are we leading? Where are we leading? If we're going to lead intentionally, 
then we need to see Jesus clearly. First, because seeing Jesus clearly is the only thing that qualifies us to lead someone else. But second, because Jesus isn't just the entry ramp into leadership. Jesus is the destination of our leadership. The saying goes that if you aim at nothing, then you'll hit it every time. If the call to leadership is the call for every one of us who is in Christ, then we need to know where it is that we are going. Have you ever tried to follow someone else somewhere because you didn't know how to get to your destination, but they did? Yes. It's a lot nicer than just them standing up and saying, right, go down the road and there's a house on the right and turn left and all that other stuff, right? That's a lot nicer if you have somebody to go with you and show you where you're going, assuming that they also know how to get there. Knowing where you're going is a pretty important aspect of leadership. That doesn't necessarily mean that as we go through our lives, as we lead others, that we're always going to be completely clear on the next step, that it's always going to be 100% clear to us because the Christian life is a life of endurance and perseverance. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And so knowing where we're going isn't necessarily about having all the answers for every single step of the journey. It's about moving closer to our destination over the long haul. Just imagine that we all decided we were going to go on a road trip together. This morning, we'll imagine we're going somewhere warm, right, somewhere with a beach, somewhere south of here. Put the destination in Google Maps, and then we're going to see a couple of options that pop up on that, a couple of routes that we could take, right? It gives you a couple of different options. Maybe one of those goes south and then east. The other goes east first and then south, but both of them wind up with sun, sand, and waves. Both options give you a general idea of the trip that we're going to take an overview of, it, but neither one of them spell out every single step that we need to know. They're not going to tell us where to stop for lunch or where to stop for fuel or where to stop for the night to spend the evening. We're not going to see where the traffic is going to be along the way. Each of us, if we set out from here with a, a certain destination in mind, might take a little different way to get there. But ultimately, we would wind up, hopefully, at the same destination because we're moving, ultimately, in the same direction. Where are we leading is an important question. And whether we realize it or not, we're leading where we're going. In fact, where we're going is the only place that we can lead. And in Christ, where we're going is clear. We're all being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Where are we leading? More like Christ. More like Christ. The journey of spiritual growth in the Christian life, it's one of transformation. Each of us begins that journey with different backgrounds. We come from different paths. Each of us walk that path with different gifts and different circumstances along the way, but we're all ultimately going to the same place, more and more like Christ. Jesus is the image we're being transformed into. Jesus is the image of God. He is we see later in that, this uh, book the light of his gospel. The light of his gospel is what saved us and transforms us by the power of his spirit. Who are we le- where are we leading more like Christ? It clarifies not only where we're leading, but how we're called to lead. Sometimes we think about leaders as those with great power or prestige or with influence But if where we're headed is more like Jesus, both individually and collectively, then my leadership isn't about power or my power. It's about the Spirit's power. 
My leadership isn't measured by my pride. It should be marked by humility. If the goal is to become more like Christ, then the way there is also to be more like Christ. And so we won't lead intentionally until we see Jesus clearly. And becoming more like Christ can't mean that we're leading to accumulate power or prestige or influence for ourselves so that others will serve us because Mark 10, 45 tells us this about Jesus. Even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. More like Christ means more serving, serving those who have nothing to offer us in return, serving when it's convenient and serving when it is costly. Becoming more like Christ can't mean we lead solely to gain the love and approval and admiration of others who are just like us because Romans 5.8 tells us this, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Loving like Jesus means loving those who aren't like us, showing mercy to those who are hurting regardless of how they got there and showing grace to all because that is what Jesus has done for us. You might say that loving Jesus, that becoming more like Christ means loving deeply and living sacrificially. The truth is we could go on all day about what it looks like for us to become more and more like Jesus. And we would never exhaust the depths of what it means to be like Christ. So I'll just say one more thing here as we think about what it looks like for us to be more like Christ. And that is if more like Christ is where we're going, then we lead intentionally by walking together in unity. Philippians 2 starts this way. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's this myth that leadership sometimes has to be brash or offensive or divisive or abrasive. But that isn't the kind of leadership that we see in Christ. There are times when leading means taking an unpopular position. But those who lead like Jesus lead toward unity, not division. Lead with humility, not with self-interest. Becoming more like Christ and leading others to become more like him isn't a change that just happens overnight in our lives. It's a lifelong journey, step by step. One with stops and starts with stumbles and falls. How many of you this morning have ever been disappointed with yourself in your walk with the Lord? Right? Most of us, I think, all of us probably. We've all thought we would be farther down the path in our walk with Christ by now at some point. And yet, Jesus isn't surprised by where we are. He's not shocked that we failed yet again. He's still leading us still loving us little by little, step by step, day by day, closer to himself. His mercies are new every morning. 
And as we lead others to become more like Christ, we need to understand and remember that the same is true for the person in the pew next to us. They also will stumble and fall, stop and start, disappoint us at times. But we keep loving and leading and serving with patience and grace and with mercy because that's what Christ has done for us. And he's transforming us from one degree of glory to another. So who is called to lead? Every Christian. Where are we leading? More like Christ from one degree to another. Leading intentionally requires those answers. And then one final piece of the puzzle. How do we get there? How do we get there? We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So how do we get there? It may not seem like the most practical instruction I can give you this morning, but it's the answer that we see here from the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit in verse 18. How do we get there? Behold Christ. Behold Christ. Being the fan of systems and plans and processes that I am, I would love to stand here and give you 10 steps or five steps toward Christ-likeness, but we've just got one this morning because our text just has one. Behold Christ. It's a word we don't use a whole lot, beholding, but it's more intense than just seeing something. It's more extended than just looking or glancing at something. The definition in the Webster's Dictionary of behold says this, to fix the eyes upon, to see with attention, and to observe with care. It's more than a fleeting glance. It's looking intensely at something for a long period of time. If you have ever been to the Grand Canyon or whatever the most beautiful landscape is that you've ever seen, you didn't walk up to that and just take one quick look and then turn around and walk away. Right? You stood and you saw with attention, you beheld the beauty and glory that was before you. Beholding Christ is seeing him face to face because the veil of our sin has been removed from our hearts. And it carries the intensity and the intimacy of a relationship with him. Beholding Christ means seeing his glory and his grace. And that's not a 10-step process. It's one step repeated over and over and over again. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Observing with care the grace and mercy and kindness that he's shown toward us. If more like Christ is where we're headed, then Christ is where we need to be looking. And here's what doesn't work. If I'm looking this way and I try to go that way, there are going to be some issues that come up along the way. I'm not even going to try it because I would wind up falling down this morning and that would be more distracting than it was helpful. Although it might make the point clear there. We have to look where we're going or we're going to get hurt. We're going to run into problems. we probably aren't even going to make it there at all. There's a reason why the driver's seat in our cars are pointing forward and not backwards. We need to be able to see where we're going. But the biblical principle here is actually even deeper than that. It's that we are always going where we're looking, period. It's been said that we become what we behold. And we see that playing out all throughout the scriptures, all over the Old Testament. The people of Israel, they would have this encounter with God, But then they would look to the gods of the other nations around them. Gods that were made of wood and stone and metal. And every time they would look to those other gods, they would become like those gods. 
blind, deaf, ultimately without life. The good news for us this morning is that the reverse of that is also true. When we behold Christ, we become like him. The more we gaze upon his grace, the more gracious we become toward others. The more we look upon his glory, the more powerfully we reflect his light to others. The more clearly we see Jesus, the closer we walk with him. The call of Christian leadership is not this morning to try harder, to be better. It's to look in faith to the only one who truly is better. The one who was tempted and tried in every way and yet was without sin. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are all being transformed into the same image. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's God's Spirit that has breathed out the Word of God through human authors like the Apostle Paul and others so that we can see Jesus and hear him and know him. Not just know about him, but know him personally. And believers in Jesus, the Spirit of God dwells in you this morning. He is at work in our hearts, causing us to behold the glory and beauty and grace of Christ. That's hard for us to even get our minds around, hard for me to understand because it's beyond what I can accomplish or fully comprehend. It's God's grace in my life that a sinner rebellious against God, blind to the nature of God, dead in my sin, can claim the truth that we read in Romans 8, for example. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. It is only by God's grace that I can behold him and become like him. I don't have the power to do that on my own. But there is a tension that we see in our walk with the Lord. We're saved by grace through faith being transformed as the Spirit works in our hearts and in our lives, and we are commanded and called to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We're commanded to behold the glory of Christ in his word. Psalm 16, 8, the psalmist says, I have set the Lord always before me. I've set the Lord always before me. The psalm says there, I'm keeping God in front of my face. No matter what happens, no matter what else goes on, I'm going to focus on who God is and what he's done for me. So how do we become more like Christ? By beholding Christ. That's us saying, I've set Christ always before me. So to ask this morning, what are you doing in your life on a daily basis to keep Christ always before you, to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus? What are the regular rhythms in your life that push aside the distractions the sin, the weights that can so easily set us aside from the path that Jesus has called us to walk? What are you doing to fix your eyes on him? There are a few ways that we can do that. A lot of ways, actually. The first one, the most obvious one that comes to my mind is to read the Bible on purpose, to make it a priority in our lives, to have a plan, not to make it a rule to keep or another law to obey, Right? Don't read the Bible just as something to check off your to-do list. Read the Bible because in these words, breathed out by the Spirit of God, we see the glory and grace of Christ on display. Read the Bible because of a relationship with Jesus. And the relationship with Jesus is like every other relationship in our lives. It requires good communication. So reading the Bible isn't doing your homework Reading the Bible is sitting across the table from a friend or family member that you love 
Because as you sit across the table from somebody and have a conversation with them, you hear what they have to say. You hear what's on their heart. You get to know them and what they're going through, who they are and what they're about. And as you get to know someone, you begin to see them more clearly. And if we're going to become more like Christ, we've got to see him more clearly. That's why we're going to invite you, challenge you to join us beginning one week from tomorrow in a Bible reading plan. We're going to be preaching and teaching through the Gospel of Luke over the next couple of months, and we're going to read it together, about a half a chapter per day, as we walk through the life of Christ together. Because we won't love deeply, we won't live sacrificially or lead intentionally if we don't see Jesus clearly. We behold Christ in his word. So read it on your own, hear it preached, hear it taught, right? That's the second way that we can behold Christ is in our praise and our prayer as we gather together for worship When we gather here to hear God's word proclaimed, we're fixing our eyes on him, beholding Christ. Every week when we gather here together, we're reminding, recentering our lives on who he's called us to be, what he's called us to do, on what he has done for us. We become like what we behold. And so if more like Christ is our goal, then beholding Christ has to be our top priority. We shouldn't be too surprised if we find that our lives look more like what we see on cable news or in our Facebook feed, if that's what we spend most of our time beholding. That's why it's so important that we regularly gather together. Not so that our attendance numbers go up, but because we need to hear one another raising our voices, singing and worshiping and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. It's one of the ways we behold the glory of the Lord and become more like him. Worship, life groups, Wednesday nights, everything that we do on a regular basis, these are rhythms that we've built into the life of our church. They're about beholding the glory and goodness of God and being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. It's not just to keep us busy. It's about becoming more like Christ. So we won't lead intentionally until we see Jesus clearly. Till we know that each of us who has been saved by Christ has been called to lead in Christ, to lead others to Christ. Until we know the leading is not about a position of power, but it's about a posture of humility, about becoming more and more like Jesus over the course of our lives. We won't lead intentionally until we know that becoming more like Jesus begins with beholding him, not with just trying to behave. When we know those things, then there's one final question that we need to answer as we close, and that is, who are you leading? Who are you leading? Who are you intentionally walking with as you walk with Jesus? Who is it God has placed in your life that you would point them to Christ, that you would share the good news of Jesus with them, that you would encourage them as they come along your side? Is it your children? Is it your family? So your friends, a coworker, identify this morning who it is that you are leading, and then let's be intentional about how we are leading, both showing and telling what it looks like to follow Jesus. As you interact with others, are you intentionally doing and saying things that point them to Christ? Can't tell you this morning exactly what that's going to look like in each of our lives individually. It may mean inviting someone to join you as you serve in the ministry that you're a part of may mean inviting yourself to join somebody else in the ministry that they're a part of. 
It may mean inviting someone to join you in a Bible reading plan. It may mean starting a conversation with a group of friends about who you are, about why you're so committed to church and why you're so committed to the Lord. It may mean praying together as a family. I don't know exactly where leading intentionally starts for you, exactly what the next step is for you. But I know it begins for each of us exactly where we are today. And it doesn't require big leaps forward or that we suddenly have it all together. It starts where we are and moves forward one step at a time from one degree of glory to another, beholding Christ until we one day behold him face to face forever and ever. Revelation 22 Verse 4 says this, they will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. More like Jesus is our destination. That happens the more that we see Jesus until one day we're with him forever and ever and ever. Our Father, this morning, We thank you for Jesus, for the light that is shown in our hearts through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, through your spirit that dwells in the hearts of each of us who have trusted in Christ and received the grace and the forgiveness that he offers that have been adopted into your family, that we can sing that we are your sons and we are your daughters, that you are our Father who loves us deeply and who cares for us, Lord. Thank you for the calling that you have placed on our lives in Christ, the calling to reflect that glory to others, to shine your light in a world that is filled with darkness, Lord world where people are broken and hurting and lost, Lord, a world where people need direction, Lord, as we look to Christ, Lord, we pray that you would give us boldness and courage and joy as we lead others to walk with Christ and to know him and to see him, Lord. Pray this morning that as we think about our lives and what it looks like for us to lead intentionally, Lord, would you reveal to us even this moment ways that we're falling short, Lord, ways that we're not leading others closer to you, Lord. Lord, that we would repent of those and trust in Christ, that we would pursue righteousness in our lives, Lord, in a way that points others to your goodness and your holiness, God. We just pray that as we sing this song, as we respond this morning to your word, Lord, that you would help us to lead, even beginning right now. Lord, give us uh, clarity take the next step that you're leading us to take and then the step after that. We're to do it in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.